Want to get the edge with your Premier League betting predictions? Pinnacle have teamed up with InfoGoal to delve deeper into the data for all the Premier League matches each game week. You combine betting market data with InfoGoal's performance data to try and find Pinnacle customers' value in the odds. This is EPL Insights. Wheels up, everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of EPL Insights with data supported by InfoGoal. Another week, more controversy in the Premier League as we look ahead to match day seven with reflections and projections on everything in terms of Premier League football. Gareth Wheeler with you, as per usual, at Gareth Wheeler. No Jake Osgathorpe today. He's gallivanting globally, celebrating his nuptials. Congratulations to Jake. So stepping up and stepping in, our good friend Andrew Beasley, data analyst, and a regular here on our Pinnacle podcast. What's up, Andrew? How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, quite an interesting weekend in the Premier League that we've just seen and um, should be some good games coming up this week too. Well, I use the word controversy and controversial, I, I guess, decisions that played out in multiple games over the weekend. As a data analyst, like, how do you kind of measure or how do you weigh in some of these variables which are inevitably turning you know, wins into draws and draws into losses for various sides that you know, our, our, our betters and backers are supporting in these games. Yeah, it's a very hard thing to take account of. I've written an article in the past for Pinnacle, which is on the website, talking about how VAR is sort of affecting um, betting in the Premier League. Um, the figures I've got are a couple of weeks out of date, but you'll get the general impression. Since VAR came in, um, it has given 30 more red cards than it's taken away. And it's given 50 more penalties than it has taken away, but it has disallowed 114 more goals than have been awarded by VAR. And that was before this weekend, when obviously that, you know, that figure would have gone up even more. So with it having been in play for just over three seasons, that means on average, roughly one goal a week is disallowed. And obviously in a low scoring sport like football with around about two and a half goals every game, losing one has a massive impact and, um, you know, it doesn't always affect the outcome, obviously, but this weekend just gone, it absolutely did in in more than one case. Yeah, well, the, the three games where it absolutely did play a role, Arsenal backers are absolutely adamant that the opening goal, which should have been, that was taken away, um, perhaps could have changed the outcome in terms of United beating Arsenal on the weekend 3-1. Uh, West Ham, the Maxwell Cornet goal, uh, it, that affected my individual bet. I was uh, back in West Ham at, uh, on the handicap plus one. I ended up pushing as it ends in a 2-1 result rather than a 2-2 draw. And Alexander Isak of Newcastle, he was he had a goal taken away as well, which took away a potential victory for Newcastle. It actually played into my bet of the week. I had Palace on the win or the draw. Uh, so that played out for me. I, I feel like as a better, um, it, it doesn't affect me completely one way or another, or, you know, in terms of the totality of, uh, of my bets and, 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 and where I'm going from a week to week basis, but it absolutely does affect individual games. Yeah, I mean, like you, I had um, double chance West Ham or draw in that game. And obviously it looked like they were going to get it when that goal was uh, was disallowed. Very hard to take. David Moyes understandably annoyed about it. I think the um, Newcastle one, I can understand a little more just because there was very clear contact between the player and the goalkeeper. Um, as much as it seems harsh, I can sort of understand why that one was given. But um, yeah, th- th- those ones were probably more influential than the than the Arsenal one, purely because they were right at the end of the game. So obviously, had those goals been given, there would have been far less time for for sort of other goals to have to have occurred. But um, yeah, it's certainly, you know, it seems every season we have a week where VAR is the main talking point, often early on, and then quite often it'll settle down. And it, and it seems that uh, week six was the week that it all sort of unleashed this season. It it was a week where things have been anything but straightforwards. I know th- there are betters out there that love to just back the favorite. And it's another weekend where Liverpool and Man City, neither of them went on to win the game. A nil-nil draw in the Merseyside Derby. The, the nil-nil draw, by the way, uh, played out at odds of plus 2,000. 
And City, another away draw for them. 1-1 at Aston Villa. A goal was taken away from Villa in that game, we should point out, which could have given Aston Villa the outright win. Coutinho was denied. A goal that looked certainly good by my standard. Didn't look offside to me. Uh, Plus 488, the draw played, which had an implied probability of 17%. Um, Were one of these two games the biggest shock result for you? Or looking back on the weekend that was, is there something else that really caught you by surprise? Well, I think as much as both games were draws, um, the uh, Merseyside derby draw was much fairer result than than what occurred at Villa Park. I mean, I think you know the Merseyside derby has seen more nil nils than any other match in in top flight history. So um, I think five of the last nine at Goodison Park have ended nil nil, and there was another one with a ninety fourth minute goal to make it one nil. So th- there's often not many goals in that, um, and it sort of played out that way. There wasn't many sort of big chances. I think one officially for either side. Um, I mean, Jordan Pickford did save. Uh, 1.9 um, according to the post shot XG which is the most against Liverpool in a league game since December 2020 but it's not like Liverpool had loads of great chances the game at Aston Villa was was different um, it was 0.22 versus 2.2 on expected goals Manchester City clearly could have won and I think in that sense although it was a di- very different kind of game it was very similar to their draw at um, Newcastle a few weeks ago and in, in that game um, Manchester City had three clear cut chances more than the home team and they had two um, expected goal advantage as well so very easily could have won um, both games so yeah as I say that that they should have won that whereas the draw at uh, Everton versus Liverpool probably felt about right on the balance of play. Uh, in-game betting obviously is playing a massive role as well the, the biggest shock in-game during the weekend came uh, Nottingham Forest went up 2-0 at, you know, Bournemouth at home. They end up losing that game 3-2. Pinnacle took a bet at plus 72-34 on Bournemouth to win when they were 2-0 down. What's incredible to me is Bournemouth on the season has two wins and they have a sub-expected goals of three and combined through the six games played. That, that's a ridiculous number, how little they're actually creating in terms of expected goals, yet they come out and find a way to score three. I, I believe their expected goals in that game against Nottingham Forest with just 0.89 as well, Andrew. Yeah, that's right. They um, they scored three goals from 0.9 expected. And <laughs> um, I had a quick look. That's only the ninth example of an away team doing that in the last six and a bit seasons in the Premier wow. League. So less than twice a season, a team will score, an away team will score three goals from only 0.9 expected. Um, annoying one for me as I had Forest to to win. Um, they were favourites anyway. The model said they should have been even shorter, so I thought that was a good bet. I obviously should have cashed out when they were two 0 up, but there we are. Um, but yeah, unlikely that Bournemouth will be able to repeat that. Albeit um, Forest obviously have had quite a flaky defence so far this season. So if they were going to do it against anybody, I guess it, it was them. They did beat Forest home and away last season in the Championship. But um, yes, scoring three goals from those chances is, is not going to happen very often. Uh, just on the goals being taken away by VAR, it seems, and I'm not sure if your if your data suggests that this is accurate. It seems like more goals are being scored on a week to week basis, yet goals are being taken away through VAR as well. Uh, what does the data show from that perspective? Are are, are the overs hitting more? Is there naturally uh, being more goals scored? Uh, how how's the start of the season played out? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly the um, number of uh, clean sheets is on the decline um, early in this season. 30%, um, there were 30% clean sheets two seasons ago, 28% last season, and so far it's 25% this season, um, which is obviously like a huge shift, but but clearly there are fewer clean sheets. We're also seeing Liverpool scoring nine, Manchester City have scored six, things like that. So games that may have been, you know, under 2.5 goals in other times, they're now going way over and above that. Um, but as always, at this time of the season, we have to say it is a small sample. Things normally sort of settle down a bit and perhaps they will. But um, yeah, goals have been on the up so far this season, certainly. And we, and we have a new giant in terms of a side with incredible attacking prowess. We can't forget about Brentford now. They've scored four in a game and five in a, in a match already this season. Uh, anything else that stood out to you last week, Andrew? Or do you want to look just look ahead? Well, just one other thing. I mean, the obvious thing to point out, I suppose, is that just Leicester continue to look a complete mess. I mean, they're, they're bottom of the table. They've scored eight goals, but those have come from 5.8 expected which is over performance of 38%, which is which is unsustainable, basically. So if anything, they're going to score 
fewer goals going forward uh, in future than they've already managed. Um, they're also underperforming at the back, but I do wonder how much of that is down to Casper Schmeichel being replaced by um, Danny Ward, who spent most of his career either on the bench or in the championship. You know, is he good enough at the at the Premier League level? I mean, he's certainly not going to be as good as, as Casper Schmeichel, however, you know, good he likely turns out to be. So, yeah, Leicester, big problems at both ends of the pitch, and it's it's sort of hard to see them getting better anytime soon. Obviously, I think, was it 5-2 at Brighton they lost? So, yeah, yeah no, another heavy defeat. They're playing Villa this week, which we may go on to talk about. But obviously, Steven Gerrard alleviated the pressure on him a little with that draw against Manchester City. But obviously, if either side um, takes a heavy beating in the Leicester versus Villa game, then their manager is going to be really up against it. Uh, just really quickly, looking ahead to some future plays, we've been keeping an eye on top four and top four probability. Back on August 16th, Manchester United 12.5 in terms of implied probability to finish top four. Based on four consecutive victories, they're out now up to 37.7 in terms of implied probability. Chelsea's dropped from 66.7 to 47.6. Arsenal, it's increased a little bit. Spurs has remained consistent, but Brighton now potentially working themselves into the mix and their um, you know, underlying numbers look good as well. They've gone from an implied probability back on August 5th of 4.8 to 9.1 right now. And that might actually seem a little bit low. What, what stands out to you in terms of the top four action and where things stand as of right now? Yeah, I mean, Brighton deserve a lot of credit for how they've started the season. I mean, they've arguably arguably been the second best team behind Manchester City. I mean, five wins and a draw based on the expected goals are the are sort of the record they should have. Um, I mean, we've seen this sort of thing before from Brighton, if not quite as impressive. You know, their, their stats are usually pretty um, good and it's sort of their finishing that, that has let them down in the past. I mean... I still wouldn't think they're going to finish in the top four, but obviously if they can keep their key players fit, then they're going to have a chance of at least contesting for European football. I mean, Tarek Lamptey, who I like a lot, has barely been yeah. inside. Um, they've added Billy Gilmore, who should be a good addition for them. Um, Casido should improve with another season in the Premier League and things like this. So it wouldn't surprise me if they stay up there, but I think, you know, top four might be might be too big an ask. Away from them, I mean, the, the sort of implied probabilities are probably um, what you would expect based on what we've seen. Um, Chelsea have been largely sort of fairly disappointing so far, and it's, it's sort of hard to see quite well what they're trying to do at the moment. Manchester United have looked a lot better um, in recent weeks. With them, I suppose the question is going to be how do they balance the um, European football playing Thursday nights and then playing Sundays? That normally takes a toll on, on the teams in those competitions later in the season. But obviously, we're a long way away from that probably being too much of an issue. But um, it is going to be an extra hurdle for them to to overcome as we go deeper into the season, I think. All of those numbers you can find at Pinnacle.com. Your best odds for both future and week-to-week play in the Premier League. Shall we kick on with match week seven? We should call this the Jake's Honest Honeymoon Edition. You ready for this, Andrew? (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Let's start things off. Uh, It's a little bit of a local derby. The first match on Saturday, 10th place Fulham takes on 6th place Chelsea. Fulham coming off a 2-1 loss at Spurs. Mitrovic scored again. He's been great. His 6th of the season. Interestingly enough, it's the third game that Fulham's played to a 2-1 result. Uh, They lost the game. Their expected goals in that game was just .53 as well. Wilson, Robinson, Solomon remain out, but they've added a bunch of different players ahead of the transfer window closing. Willian, Dan James and Levin Kurzawa join the side. They're without a clean sheet in five. They've got more than two and a half goals in four of their last five. Mitrovic, by the way, not only six goals, the second best XG in the Premier League so far this season. As for Chelsea, a two win. 2-1 2-1 win, controversially so, over West Ham. Chilwell and Havertz with the goal. Good to see Havertz score in the 88th minute for Chelsea backers. Uh, it was an evenly played game, 1.31 to 1.29 XG. Fafana also made his Chelsea debut. N'Golo Conte's out long-term through injury. Aubameyang with a mask is back in the, is, is now in the team, as well as central midfields, <laughs> midfielder Zakaria. They are playing in Champions League. Tuesday in Zagreb. They're without a clean sheet in their last five, and they've gone over two and a half goals in their last five games with both teams scoring in four of five as well. And Chelsea have actually gone on to be the first to score in five of their last seven. Head-to-head, Chelsea's won their last seven games against Fulham and incredibly have not lost in their last 20 to Fulham, and they've been first to score in their last seven as well. 
Uh, two sides, Fulham off to a flyer to start the year, exceeding expectations. Chelsea, well below par thus far. Andrew, what do you look at here? How do you see this playing out? Yeah, this looks like a game that's going to be full of goals. I mean, as you mentioned, there's been quite a few 2-1 um, scorelines for both teams uh, lately. Their, their last, Both teams' last three league matches have ended 2-1, either wins or defeats. So there's been, yeah, three goals in all of those games. Fulham only have one win against Chelsea since 1979, never mind the last 20. So, um, you know, it's been a very one-sided derby, but this feels like one where there could be a greater chance for an upset just because Chelsea have been um, not that impressive, as, as we've already said. I think with Fulham, um, they're the only team who are in the top five for overachieving against XG at both ends of the pitch. And that sort of thing will catch up with them eventually, you would think. doesn't mean it's going to on Saturday, but in the longer term, it wouldn't be a surprise to see them start to lose a few games as, as those sort of figures um, go start to go against them. But um, I think perhaps most interestingly ahead of this one, these teams are both in the bottom two of the Premier League for expected goals per shot against. So the chances they give up are normally good chances. And that's why we're obviously seeing lots of games um, paying out on over 2.5 goals and, and both teams to score. Um, both teams to score, yes, in this one is at minus 130. Um, over 2.5 goals is minus 127. I quite like combining them, particularly with all these 2-1 scorelines flying about. Both teams to score and over 2.5 goals is plus 123. And I think that uh, could be the bet to go for here because then it doesn't matter who wins as long as both score and there's plenty of goals, then uh, obviously your bet will come in. Yeah. Um, the only other play I was looking in this one, um, is Chelsea being maybe value a little bit short here, minus 131 for an outright win? Or based on what you've seen from Chelsea and the underlying numbers, they're just difficult to back right now. Yeah, there is a little bit of that. I mean, if you look at the um, prices compared against the expected goal model from this season, they, they more or less match. So on that basis, they're being priced pretty fairly. But um, I just don't think you can rely on Chelsea at the moment to, to win a game. Um, very lucky in some of the wins they've had. And um, it's very hard to see them keeping a clean sheet. It's pretty remarkable considering the quality of the goalkeeper and the defenders they've got, but that is what has happened so far this season. So yeah, yeah. It's just, it's through six weeks of the season. So much can change, you know, a newly promoted side, Chelsea, a team that's expected to be a lock basically for a top three. When the season begins, when you see it just minus one thirty-one right now, uh, it's just incredible how much that has actually shifted. Like I'm guessing, you know, what plus 200 perhaps for an away win at the start of the season. Minus 131 now, there's a little bit of a gap. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think this is the sort of game, because I was saying Fulham sort of overachieving, this is the sort of game that perhaps Chelsea will turn up and just win 2-0 and it be, um, you know, very, sort of fairly routine. But um, as we say, they've got Champions League this week, albeit there's a fair gap between Tuesday and Saturday. And um, yeah, they're, with their defensive issues, this um, you, you can't rely on them to win a game in straightforward fashion at the moment. Maybe this will be it, but um, it's hard to say until they put a few on the board. Yeah, so over two and a half. Uh, what, what's it? Plus 123 over two and a half in both teams to score? That's correct, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, let's move on to Liverpool. Seventh in the table, coming off the nil-nil draw in the Merseyside Derby. They talk, take on 14th place Wolves coming off their first victory of the season. For Liverpool, uh, it was an entertaining goalless draw, if we're going to be honest. Jordan Pickford was excellent in that game. But it also marked the return of Diogo Jota, as well as Darwin Nunez, into the Liverpool team. They've scored 15 goals, Liverpool, in the season. That's tied for second best in the Premier League with Brentford. Although Mo Salah has been a little bit quiet, just two goals on 17 shots and just an XG of 2.67 thus far. Cunate's hurt. Jordan Henderson will now be out for three weeks. Carvalho, Ox, and Keita uh, are all going to be out this weekend. Tiago looks like he will be good to go, but we'll put a questionable tag on him anyways. They play Napoli on Wednesday in the Champions League. Liverpool haven't lost in their last three and have been the first to concede in the first half loser in five of their seven games. Uh, Podence with the goal for Wolves as they beat Southampton 1-0 in that one. Although they've just scored three goals on the season Wolves. They've only conceded four uh, you know, to kind of portray both sides of the uh, coin here. Uh, 
Kaladzic, their big man, the Austrian striker, came into the team, did his ACL right away. Now, at the time of recording, they're trying to get uh, Costa over the line, Diego Costa, to bring him back to the Premier League. We'll see how that plays out. No losses in their last four for Wolves, less than two and a half goals in five of their last six games played. Head-to-head, Liverpool have won their last seven against Wolves and have been first to score in six of seven. Wolves haven't had a clean sheet against Liverpool in their last 13. It was 3-1 in this fixture last season. Mane, Salah, Robertson all scoring for Liverpool in that victory. What do you make of this one here, Andrew? Well, the game last season was on the final day of the of the season and it sort of started this run of Liverpool um, going behind to a certain type of goal. These really sort of simple goals that are really direct. Wolves went from the goalkeeper all the way through to Jimenez in the box because Canate missed his header and uh, Jimenez squared for Pedro Neto to score and Liverpool were behind. Now, they came back and they've come back quite a lot since, but it was it was one of those games that, that we've since seen repeated quite a lot. I'm not sure it's going to be quite like that this time. Um, if Liverpool could stop that sort of threat from Wolves, then their attack has been very limited, as you say. Um, you know, they lost, they lost at least 2-1 on the first weekend. And, and since then, their scores have been 0-0, 0-1, sort of playing in binary, effectively. So um, I think we could have something similar here. Three of the last six meetings have ended 1-0 to Liverpool. Um, and this could be very similar again. As we say, they're coming off Champions League. And in their case, it's Wednesday night through to Saturday afternoon. So there's not much time for sort of recovery in between, particularly when they've got seven or eight players out with um, with injury. You mentioned they scored 15 goals, but obviously nine of them came against um, Bournemouth in one game. Um, if we ignore that, then Liverpool have only had one clear-cut chance in each of their last three league games. And there's every chance that they'll be um, sort of limited in terms of high-quality opportunities once again. So while I think Liverpool will just about get over the line, I think under 2.5 goals at plus 159, something like that is probably the way to go. Wow. Uh, I, I was also looking at both teams to score. No, at minus 119. Uh, any value in that? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, as we say, I mean, with with Wolves having scored three and conceded four, I think it is, then, you know, there's obviously been a lot of, a lot of nils in their uh, in their matches so far this season. So, yeah, I wouldn't um, put anyone off going against that. I mean, obviously, Liverpool have struggled to score in, in most of their games apart from against Bournemouth. So it's not impossible that Bournemouth's um, back three can, can keep them at bay and maybe it ends nil-nil. Uh, you know and understand Liverpool more than most. How concerning is it the state of the midfield right now, especially going up against a Wolves side where really the midfield is their strength? That's the only issue for me that has me pause just for a moment. Typically, Liverpool at Anfield against a side like Wolves, yeah, no problem. But it's just the state of the midfield at least gives you reason to think twice. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think, you know, Liverpool's, midfield isn't like chronically weak or anything like that, but they do give up these big chances every now and again, maybe only one a game, maybe only two a game, but if the opposition takes them, then it, then it leaves them with a big problem. And as you say, um, Wolves with players like um, Neves, Moutinho, um, Nunes come into the side, he was linked with Liverpool, but nothing came of that. He went to Wolves instead. It, it, it is probably the one area where they may be considered stronger. I mean, a lot depends on um, Arthur Mello, the line loan signing, whether he um, comes into the team, whether he's ready. Um, but obviously Jurgen Klopp doesn't have too many options. And, and we saw at Everton, he played Elliot and Carvalho and both did okay. But, you know, they're young players to be relying on week in, week out in the, in the midfield in the Premier League when you're sort of aiming to go for the title. So as good as they are. So, um, yeah, it, it is a question mark. And, and you think it's possibly one area where Wolves may have a slight edge. But I think Liverpool will, will come through over just probably in a low-scoring game. Is it a fool's game betting an under at, at Anfield? Like I, I'm looking at under three at plus 103. Um, <laughs> just just because Champions League on Wednesday, relatively quick turnaround for Liverpool. You know, p- perhaps if they go up a goal, they'll try to kill off the match. You know, under three at plus 103. It just again, Liverpool at Anfield just uh, is 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 kind of scaring me off. Maybe that's not what the numbers suggest, Andrew. Maybe it's more perception rather than reality. Well, no, I mean, there's something in that. I mean, I think obviously um, Darwin Nunes is is back in the team now whenever he's played, which hasn't been all that much because of his suspension. But whenever he's played, he's had a lot of shots, a lot of chances. Um, he had a couple of clear-cut chances at, at, against Crystal Palace at Anfield before he was sent off. And unfortunately, he missed them. But if he gets those opportunities again, then maybe he takes them and, and maybe it is an easy afternoon for, for Liverpool. But um, I guess it... The, the, 
in a different way to Chelsea, but they're, they're, they are quite hard to judge at the moment because they're sort of playing these games that are very tight and some things are going for them, some are going against them and, and you're not quite sure what what's sort of um, what, what's going to happen. It's sort of threatening to be something of a transitional season for Liverpool, but obviously they've got the quality. They could win a few games in a row and it, you know everything looks a lot rosier. But until they do, I think that there's just a few question marks. So I'm sort of still inclined on a low scorer, but you know we'll see. I hope, right. I, hope I hope I'm wrong and Liverpool win easily, but uh, <laughs> I won't get my hopes up. I hope you're right because I think that's going to be one of my main plays this weekend. Uh, let's move on to really what is the match of the weekend. It's the light, late game on Saturday. Second place Manchester City facing third place Spurs. City coming in off the disappointment of a 1-1 draw at Aston Villa. Erling Holland, who else scored again his 10th goal already of the season coming in the 50th minute before Leon Bailey equalized in the 74th minute of that one. Uh, City, three wins from three games at home. Four 14 goals scored overall. Incredible. It's not just the goals that Erling Holland's scoring. He's a 7.5 XG. No one else in the Premier League is over 4.67 in that category. Laporte is out. Walker, Stones, and Phillips remain questionable, but they did bring in Manuel Akanji, the Swiss international from Borussia Dortmund, before the window shut. They haven't lost in their last seven, first to score in six of seven, and have gone more over, or sorry, more than two and a half goals in five of the last six games that they've played. Uh, they did play in the Champions League midweek, play at Sevilla on Tuesday. Spurs, the 2-1 victory last time out over Fulham, Hoiber and Harry Kane score goals in Richarlison's first start and Christian Romero marking his return from injury into the team. It was convincing in terms of the XG 2.68 to just 0.53. Harry Kane now has five goals all of a sudden, and he's had three or more shots in an each and one of each and every one of his last five games. Uh, they haven't lost in six. They also played in the Champions League midweek on Wednesday at Marseille. Spurs won both times they played last season. Incredibly, it was a one-nil victory at the Etihad to start the season, or sorry, at, uh, at at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to start the season. And they won 3-2 in this fixture last season at the Etihad. A Harry Kane brace in that game, scored late on as well. And Kulosevsky scored the other goal in that game. Uh, Conte over Pep last season, twice, Andrew. That doesn't happen very often. Do they make it three in a row this weekend? Well, it's a definite possibility, and I'm sure they'll look to repeat um, what they did when they won at the Etihad last season. If you look at that game, which they won 3-2, City had 21 shots for 2.5 expected goals, whereas Spurs only had six, but for 2.2. So they were happy to let City sort of shoot low-quality chances and then try and generate high-quality chances of their own when they when they could. And it, it was actually pretty similar, at least on the numbers, to their draw, their recent draw at Chelsea. You know, they were outplayed on the eye test, yet they had four clear-cut chances when Chelsea had two, which were the same totals in their win at City last season. Um, City have obviously been very good um, for much of the time, but they're also quite hard to, to assess because they've had these games where, you know, 4-0 against Bournemouth and 6-0 against Forest. But they've also been two goals down to both Newcastle and Palace, which suggests that their defence can be got at if teams are actually able to, which is which is not always um, that easy. You know, they're, they're currently the worst underperforming team in, in defence, six goals conceded from 3.8 expected. You know, as I think we said, Villa only had 0.2 XG in that match last weekend, but they scored once and they could have had another, but for, a, for an offside decision, as we said. Um, I think this is certainly another game where there's going to be goals. We've mentioned that quite a lot, not with Liverpool Wolves, Fulham Chelsea, plenty of goals. When you look at Spurs playing away at another big six team, um, since the start of 29-20, they've played 16 games away at Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, City or United. And uh, over 2.5 goals has paid out 13 times out of 16. And both teams to score has paid out 13 times out of 16 as well. So this could be another game where um, a combined bet of both teams to score an over 2.5, which is plus 110. Uh, that could be another game where that is a is a good one. Um, another one which caught my eye possibly, um, first half handicap, Tottenham plus 0.5 in the first half is available at plus 106. Um, they've only been behind at half time six times since the start of last season, which is actually one fewer than 50. So um, with neither team probably too disappointed if it's nil-nil at the break and look to win it in the second half, I think that that could be another good bet. Yeah, I, I I actually like both those plays. I think Spurs can keep this close. The handicap jumps out to me. City 
a goal and a half favorite, 1.5 favorite here. Spurs plus a goal and a half at minus 114. Looks decent to me. And, and it's just because I do have some real questions about what Manchester City will look like at the back, especially if Kyle Walker can't go this weekend, if John Stones can't go this weekend. I think there is some genuine vulnerability there. City, of course, the better side, both teams to score at minus 128. That, that jumps off the page as well. And I think you're onto it over two and a half as well. Both teams to score. It, it makes a lot of sense. I just look at Kane. I look at Son. I look at what Spurs can offer in attack and how they were so effective in limited chances last season. Um, th- th- that just says to me that Spurs can at least, at the very least, keep this tight. Yeah, definitely. They're, they've sort of been probably better in a lot of their games and the score lines have suggested more dominant than, um, you know, they've had some close games. Um, their current Spurs are currently fourth in the table for expected goals um, for and the third best for expected goals against. So if anyone's going to give Manchester City a, team, a game, there's certainly one team um, who can do so. And as you say, with what Spurs have got going forward and the sort of questionable um, defensive issues at, at Manchester City... Against most teams, Manchester City can get away with it, but Spurs are one where they where they probably won't. So, um, yeah, as we said, I think both teams to score a few goals uh, is looking very light. Uh, just wanted to touch on this. I know that uh, betters will almost instinctively bet Erling Holland to score now. I mean, it's just the way that the season started, Andrew. Um, is there is there a point where you wouldn't touch it, like, or how are you kind of looking at that goal scorer market? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of hard to go against him at this point, isn't it? With um, with all the the chances and the goals he's getting, I mean, like you said, he's had about seven xG on his own, something like that, which is more than about half the teams in the Premier League have had so far this season. Um, so when you put that into context, you know, okay, he's overachieved against it, but it, it's not he's not scored ten from two xG or whatever. He's done it from a from a very sizable amount of chances, and and he's missed some good chances as well. So yeah, I mean, he is the obvious bet. I suppose at this point, the one thing is we don't know how he does in the in the biggest games um, for Manchester City. That is purely because um, City, the only team who haven't played a big six side yet, so we don't know what he'll be like when he comes up against team of the the, the caliber of, of Tottenham. I mean, likely he'll he'll have no problems, of course, but it is one slight question mark over him at the moment. We saw in the Community Shield against Liverpool, whether you consider that competitive or friendly, I guess is up to you. Um, as Liverpool won, I consider it very competitive. And um, he had some good chances there, but he didn't score. So, you know, it's possible for a, for a similar outcome on Saturday. But clearly, anyone who's betting Erling Haaland will think their money is safe. And um, for the time being, it looks it. Well, I cannot wait for this one. No matter what happens, it's going to have a pr- profound influence on the top of the table. Uh, this weekend, which is appropriate that we move ahead to Sunday and top of the table. Arsenal looks to get back to their winning ways as they Everton uh, this weekend. Arsenal, of course, lost 3-1 at Manchester United. Martinelli had that goal called back in the first half. Uh, Saka did score uh, in the second half of that game. Um, A a consolation marker. Although they did have a superior XG to Manchester United in that game, 1.7 to 1.51. In fact, Arsenal's had a better XG than their opponent in every game that they played so far. Uh, And actual goals and goals conceded are more than expected goals across the board for Arsenal. Party remains injured. Elneny long-term. Nelson with now Emil Smith-Rowe questionable. They're without a clean sheet in their last three. More than two and a half goals in five of five. Both teams scoring in four of five. They do play in the Europa League on Thursday against FC Zurich. Everton, of course, played to the nil-nil against Liverpool. Jordan Pickford was standout. Neil Mope started that game. And Idrissa Gay is back at Everton as well. Four straight draws for Everton. And interestingly... Their goals scored and conceded are significantly less in each and every game than expected as well. Townsend's injured. Godfrey, Mina, Holgate, number of defensive players, Calvert-Lewin and Decore are now listed as questionable for this weekend. They've gone less than two and a half goals scored in games that they played in five of five, but both teams have scored in five of six. Last season, both teams did win the home games. Arsenal just completely destroyed Everton 5-1. At the Emirates, and while well, Everton beat Arsenal last year 2-1 at home, a late Damara Gray winner in that game. And Everton 
uh, are without a clean sheet against Arsenal in their last three. And if it matters to you, these two sides did play one another in the preseason. Ho-hum, ho-hum. Uh, what do you like here? Arsenal to get back on track against Everton? Or are you starting to see something from Frank Lampard's side, which makes them a more difficult out each and every time they play? Well, they are certainly looking more resilient than they were. I mean, as you mentioned, they've had four draws in a row now. Um, but I think the fact remains that if you look at the expected goals, they've deserved to win just one of their last 20 away games in the league. So for them to sort of break that trend away at Arsenal is perhaps a bit of a, of a big ask. Um, but I think, it, I think it could be close. I mean, this is obviously this sort of new era of Arsenal. This is their first taste of dealing with European football. As you said, they're playing in Zurich on Thursday night. How are they going to react to that um, when they play on Sunday against Everton? Even when they've, even over the years when Arsenal haven't been as, as perhaps as strong as they'd like, they've generally been pretty good um, against the bottom half of the table. I mean, last season against the bottom eleven, they had nine wins and two draws at home in those matches. You would assume Everton will probably finish in the bottom half of the table this season. So you know, the history of that suggests that that Arsenal will win. Um, but I think they might just do enough rather than win by a wide a wide margin. The the XG model thinks they should probably be a shorter price than they are. But obviously that doesn't account for the fact that they're playing on Thursday night, which as we've said may uh, may be an issue. So I might I might be tempted by Everton at plus one point five, uh, which is minus one fourteen. Uh, maybe Arsenal to win by a goal, something like that. Um, if you like an unusual bet, um, Arsenal always tend to have a lot more corners than their opponents when they're playing um, one of the weaker teams, somebody from outside the big six. They won the corner count by an average of 4.5 last season against those uh, lesser teams. So Arsenal minus four corners at plus 108 could be a, an interesting bet if you fancy something a bit different. Interesting. This one, I mean, that, that that's a good stat. I never even considered that, Andrew, um, because for me, when I was just looking at it, it was a stay away. It was a pass. I, look, I, I love the game model. Arsenal's playing some really good football. They played well against United in the loss as well. I just wonder, going into the Europa League, what the depth in the midfield area is going to look like. That's one area which they're incredibly thin with the injuries right now. And I just question what that means because, for me, Arsenal's strength is in their midfield. They have some combative players in there. They're, 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 they're well-organized. They're going to be difficult to break down away from home. But you're right, based upon their recent history, it's difficult to place a bet on Everton away from Goodison Park. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it will be interesting to see how Mikel Arteta chooses to balance the Europa League, because when you look at the season so far, um, they've played six games and he's only made four changes to the starting 11 um, across all those games, mm. um, often retaining the same team. I mean, he's, his back four seems pretty settled, apart from either having Zinchenko or Kieran Tierney at left back. Um, Xhaka's a fixture in the midfield alongside whoever happens to be available. And then you have Saka, Odegaard and Martinelli behind um, Jesus pretty much every week. And with the results, you can understand why they're doing that. You know, it's obviously working for them, but it's it sort of, at this point, we don't know how seriously he's going to take the Europa League and, and whether those guys will all get the night off, whether some of them will play and then sit out on Sunday. So it, it's it's that sort of point in the season where it's maybe worth waiting for the team news to see who plays Thursday, who's sending the team Sunday. Um, but as you say, yeah, the, the, the rest of the team looks pretty settled. It's only in the midfield where um, Party and Lenny, Sambi Lakonga, all these guys are getting a game. And, um, you know, it, it's possibly their one area of weakness. But um, other than that, it's been a very set of lineup and, it, and it's working for them. And I think it makes sense. As long as it's working, then uh, stick with it. Good shout on that. Uh, let's skip ahead to our final feature game before we get into rapid fire. It's 15th place Crystal Palace hosting Manchester United. Palace coming off a nil-nil against Newcastle, but extremely fortunate in terms of the XG in the game. 4.17 for Newcastle, just 1.03 in XG in the goalless draw. Possession was split, however, and it was about quality of chances because Crystal Palace actually had more attempts and attempts on target than Newcastle in that game. Uh, Palace has the highest number in terms of expected goals against in the Premier League this season. They have, however, played Liverpool, Man City, and Brentford, the three most highest scoring teams over the course of their stretch. Wilfred Zaha has four goals on the season, and Palace haven't won in their last three. United has now won four in a row. Their latest 3-1 over Arsenal at Old Trafford. Marcus Rashford looks like he's returning to some kind of form. He came over with a brace with Anthony uh, scoring on his debut 
debut as well. Casemiro Ronaldo still coming off the bench for Eric Ten Hag. Anthony Martial is still hurt with Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Donny van de Beek questionable. But those two players look like they have peripheral roles in the team now rather than being feature pieces. Uh, United first to score in four of their last five games. They do play Real Sociedad away from home in the Europa League on Thursday. It's also worthwhile to point out that both these teams average less possession than their opponents. Both like to get out on the counterattack, so we'll see who ends up being the aggressor in this game. Both teams beat one another 1-0 last season, both at home. Palace beat United, a feeble United side, 1-0 at home with Wilfred Zaha with the winner as well. And guess what? These two sides played in the preseason as well. Probably doesn't really matter much. Uh, What do you like here? Palace to get back flying because they have played some decent football at at times and they look a decent attacking side. Perhaps too many defensive frailties for a United team that looks like it can just kick in and kick on at times and and score goals basically out of nothing just in a flash on the counterattack. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, I think this one is quite a tough game to call because, as you say, Crystal Palace have done have done pretty well, particularly considering they've played um, Arsenal, Liverpool, and City. As we say, the three best teams for the underlying um, stats this season. Obviously, Palace are usually pretty strong on the underlying numbers. They suggested they should have finished sixth last season, so they could be more than a match for United. I think it's somewhat similar to what we said about Arsenal. Really, again, with United playing on Thursday, I mean they have the advantage of um, of playing at home, but um, Eric. Ten Hag picked a team for uh, the game against Liverpool, which they won. And aside from changing um, Elanga for new signing Anthony last weekend against Arsenal, he's otherwise kept the exact same 11 for for four games and they've won every game. So again, how can you argue with it, argue with it really? But um, it, yeah, so it's another one where it'll be interesting to see what he does um, in midweek. Selhurst Park has a bit of a reputation as a, as a tough place for the big teams to go. But what you find is, whilst that's sort of true, the big team does normally win far more often than not. Um, as Palace had nine shots on target at Newcastle last weekend and didn't score, I mean, that's sort of similar to, to Liverpool. It's re- very rare for a team to have that many um, shots on target and not score, so they're possibly owed a goal. I think maybe both teams to score at minus 137 could be the play for this one. But uh, yeah, I I find it quite a hard one to call because um, United were very, very poor. Now they've looked pretty good and is the truth somewhere in the middle and, and, you know, what's going to turn up when they play a pretty good Palace team? United were the underdog last weekend at home against Arsenal. You can still get plus money for United victory if you think that they've turned the corner, plus 115. I just wonder how much longer this may be the case. For Manchester United, typically the odds are shorter. They're a favorite. They're a public side. Obviously, massive popularity. But at plus 115, if if you think that they're the better side here, then there could be some value in that play. Possibly, yeah. As you say, it's probably not the sort of price you'll get for them if they're too much longer, if their form continues. I mean, it's quite hard to be too strong on them just because the numbers have been um, pretty even. Uh, the expected goal is 1.7 to 1.5 against Liverpool. Um, they actually lost the XG against Southampton. They were only 0.5 better than Leicester, about the same against Arsenal. So they've been getting the job done. And obviously, that's the most important thing. The underlying process, not quite so strong. So this, as you say, whilst they're at um, plus on the on the money line, then it then it could be a good opportunity to take advantage of that. Um, I'm just a little reticent at this point, but uh, you you, uh, you may have more faith in them. No, than no, the, the the numbers need to 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 make sure that they it, it dictates the play that you make. And right now, you're absolutely right; they don't. The four wins that absolutely does, but with Europa League. And the underlying XG in, the, in these victories that they've had, it, it paints a little bit of a different picture. Uh, I'm staying away, by the way, not touching that game at all. Uh, let's go rapid fire through the final five games of the weekend. Oh boy, Leicester City, only side in the Premier League that haven't won. They host 17th place Villa. Leicester lost 5-2 on the weekend. The pressure's on Brendan Rodgers and his underachieving players because they do have some good players in the side. Villa galvanized with that draw against Manchester City last time out. The thing that jumps off the page to me, Andrew, it's 18th versus 19th in overall XG in this game. Yet there's a part of me that's kind of expecting goals in this one. Maybe the recipe for, for some goals to be scored by these sides is playing one another. 
Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it depends if you think bad attacks will be more influential than bad defences um, in this game. I know that two of the last four meetings at Leicester have ended nil-nil and another needed a 91st minute goal for a 1-0 Villa win. So it's normally pretty close when they play each other, but that was possibly when sides had um, better defences. I mean, if you look at the XG, this is probably the most likely draw um, in the Premier League this weekend. And obviously a point apiece wouldn't really help either side. So it may be that they go for it a bit more in, in pursuit of a win than perhaps they would in other games. Um, Models suggest under 2.5 goals is probably the best play at plus 101. Um, but with the de- because mainly because the attacks aren't that great. But as we say, with the defences as they are, it, that could easily go out the window and there'd be sort of goals galore in that one, I think. Uh, the draws available at Pinnacle at plus 248, the over and under two and a half goals, minus 112, plus 102 for the under. Bournemouth, after that, coming from behind victory 3-2 at Forest. Uh, they take on Brighton this weekend. Forest, by the way, the worst XG over the course of their six games in the Premier League. Somehow two wins, but it's only 2.6. Their overall XG, according to InfoGoal, Brighton has the fourth best expected goal differential in the Premier League. 5-2 home victory over Leicester last weekend. Uh, McAllister and Trossard have been great. McAllister has four goals on the season. Was actually denied what should have been um, another goal, which which would have been an incredible strike. This is my bet of the weekend. This is my play of the weekend, Andrew. I'm just going to skip to it. Brighton in a way win at minus 127. I just, I'll take that number against a very poor Bournemouth side all day long. Yeah, absolutely. I agree entirely. Um, you know, it might not be a top versus bottom clash in the actual league table, but in terms of underlying process, I think it almost is, um, you know, Brighton the second best um, expected goal difference for away games this season. Um, and obviously they've already been to Manchester United in that as well. Um as well as that, the only um, three away goals they've conceded this season, two of them were own goals. So opposition teams have, have sort of created very little against them off their own back. I think Brighton win this relatively easily and uh, both teams to score no and a Brighton win is plus 194. So, um, yeah, I like the look of that. Brighton winning to nil looks, um, well, pretty much guaranteed if you look at the numbers at least. Uh, we're both backing Brighton. Southampton, they take on Brentford. Southampton uh, beat Brentford 4-1 at home last week, and Brentford won 3-0 in the reverse fixture last season. Ivan Tony, he's flying, scored a hat-trick in a 5-2 victory over Leeds. He has five goals on the season. Brentford has 15 goals scored, tied for second-most goals scored in the Premier League. Uh, Romeo Lavea is out for Southampton, the talented central midfielder. That certainly is a loss. I've gotten this trend of betting Brentford at home. I'm not quite at the point where I'm willing to bet on them away from home week in, week out. But I see a Brentford victory at plus 210. It's tempting, Andrew. No, I'd say that's very tempting. I mean, the expected goal numbers suggest their price should be um, shorter. So, yeah, that could be a very good play this weekend. I think we can also expect some goals. As I think we've said Brentford have had a 5-2, a 4-0, a 2-2 draw, a 3-2 loss. Um, Southampton had a 2-2 draw with Leeds at home, I remember. Um, over 2.5 goals is minus 117. Over 3.5 is plus 204. And with Brentford's form, with that paying out quite regularly, um, I wouldn't be against um, having a little bit on that as well. On Sunday, West Ham uh, were robbed last week in the Maxwell Cornet cold, not given. They fell 2-1 um, on, on the weekend, uh, and they face Newcastle this weekend at home. Uh, Newcastle, they were robbed with a goal as well. Let's call this the VAR derby in this one, as both sides <laughs> were uh, were spoiled last week. Uh, Newcastle have drawn three of their last four games overall. Head-to-head, West Ham are without a clean sheet against Newcastle in their last seven, but both teams to score has cashed five of the last six times that the, these two sides have played. What, what do you foresee happening here? Yeah, as you sort of mentioned there, Newcastle have always had a good record against West Ham, even when Newcastle as a team weren't doing very well. They still seem to manage to pull out some wins against um, West Ham, particularly um, at the London Stadium. And as we keep mentioning, but it is relevant, West Ham are playing on Thursday night in the Europa Conference League. And obviously it remains to be seen how well they sort of deal with that, having to then play Newcastle on Sunday. A lot may depend on the team news. I, I think I'd probably wait and see who's who's playing for Newcastle. I mean, it's rumoured that Bruno Gamares and Alison Maximan will be back. And if they are, mm. then I would definitely be interested in, in Newcastle. They're currently plus 211. That may come down depending on what West Ham do on Thursday, of course. But at this point, that looks like a, looks like a good bet, particularly, as I say, if those injured players are coming back. That's exactly what I wrote down on my sheet. I put depends on who's playing. Because if they're not... 
Uh, West Ham at plus 147 to win this game um, might tempt me into this one. I think they're an underachieving side uh, thus far. I think they're better than what they've actually shown. So uh, we'll wait and see to what the team sheets look like there. Uh, Monday Night Football's back. It's Team America, a.k.a. Leeds United. Coming off a 5-2 loss to Brentford last week, and Forrest looked to rebound after somehow losing 3-2 to Bournemouth. Leeds, they're affected by the fact their leading goal scorer Rodrigo remains out. Uh, $160 on 21 players for Nottingham Forest. I do respect the ambition, but it leaves a lot of questions about what this team looks like and how long it will take for them to come together. Uh, How are you looking at this game on Monday? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not Forest are obviously a very hard team to to read at the moment for the reason that you say these sort of 21 players they're trying to shoehorn into a squad and in a team and, and how that's going to play out. I think the thing that catches my eye with with Forest, I mean, we can sort of ignore their six their loss at Manchester City because lots of teams will will lose there and, and by a big margin. But Forest conceded 23 shots at Newcastle and 19 at Everton. And that's way above what those teams would normally record in a home game. So that has me concerned for Forest. Um, Leeds are the favourites. And again, looking at the XG, it says their price should be shorter. Um, Leeds are at minus 126. Over 2.75 goals is at minus 106. I think both of those bets, um, either together or combined, you know, could be uh, could be good. All right. Rapid fire comes to a conclusion. Uh, Ten games gone through. Uh, Andrew, my bet of the weekend is a bright and outright victory at Bournemouth. Uh, What's your favorite bet or best bet this weekend? Yeah, I think it's the, um, well, either Fulham versus Chelsea or City versus Spurs, either of those. But in both cases, both teams are scoring over 2.5 goals at around about 110 at the moment. So um, take your pick from from either of those. But I think there's going to be plenty of goals in both those games. Good stuff. Anything else not addressed or does that cover it all? No, I think we've covered all 10 games. I just hope I do as well as uh, as Jake normally does. Else I won't be invited back next time. Oh, that's not true because you definitely will be back next time. Jake's gone for a long, like I said, when I say gallivanting across the globe, you know, I mean it. He's gone. He's He'll be back after the international break. So in the meantime, uh, Andrew, um, very well filling the boots of the great Jake Osgathorpe. Uh, Good stuff this week, Andrew. I should remind our listeners, uh, go to our Premier League predictions articles on Pinnacle.com. There's also weekly La Liga predictions at Pinnacle.com slash betting resources. Keep across Pinnacle's social media channels for all kinds of content. The UCL betting blueprint is back, and so is the Champions League. Uh, Europa League action, uh, that's back underway as well. The NFL season is now up and running as well, and the NFL opening line podcast is now out with football analysts Eric Eager and Ben Brown to take you through everything you need to know ahead of the new season comparing the data with pinnacle's great odds at pinnacle on twitter and at pinnacle sports is where you can find us on youtube as well myself at gareth wheeler and at base tuned to red to follow along with andrew beasley as well great stuff this week andrew we'll do it all again next week yeah looking forward to it let's just hope we get a few winners this weekend And uh, good luck to all of you out there and your plays this weekend. Remember to gamble responsibly. And the lines were accurate at the time of recording this podcast. On behalf of Andrew and everyone at Pinnacle and InfoGoal, I am Gareth Wheeler. Wheels down for Match Week 7's EPL Insights. 